listeners, uh, this is Adrian. just coming to tell you that this is going to be the first of one of our guest, guest podcasts. Um, we are on break for August and September, and we've identified four podcasts that we think you all should listen to. Um, the first one is called Raising Rebels, and it's our friend Nolika, who... Um, I just recently got to spend time with at the New York Emergent Strategy Immersion, and she created the Brooklyn Free School, and is just an amazing educator and mama and organizer and thinker and radical. And she started this podcast where she's talking with her own children and other children and other parents and other caretakers and aunties and everyone else about how we raise rebels. Like how do we raise young people who are radical and critical minded and collaborative minded and um, full of the kind of radical hope it's gonna take to not just survive, but create futures that are compelling to live in. So we hope that you enjoy this episode of Raising Rebels. You can find their podcast on Spotify and um, And this, it's just finishing the first season and it has a lot more to come. So enjoy. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. My name's Moxie. I'm the Luca Anderson's daughter. What are some things that are challenging for you about being a gay person out in the world? My grandmother. Tell me more. She's just so by the book quotation marks. <laughs> um, she's like, they have this idea that somewhere in the Bible, there's something about gay and lesbian people being bad. And I think that's mostly because there isn't any talk of it. Like, there's no talk of TVs. They still watch TV. Hi, I'm your host, Nalika Radway, and this is Raising Rebels, a podcast about oppressed parents raising free children. I am the executive director of Brooklyn Free School. One of the things I love most about my work is talking with parents about the challenges of raising free children in our oppressive world. As the mother of three amazing black children, I know all too well the struggle of encouraging your child to be fully themselves in a society that does not celebrate them. Parenting can be so lonely. My goal is to help create a village by sharing our stories, challenging our thinking, asking lots of questions. This season, we will tackle everything from sexuality and race to co-parenting and money, all with the goal of liberating our children. Please join us for courageous conversations with real parents and the children they're raising to rebel against the status quo. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Bella, a fellow mother, educator, Jamaican. Welcome, Bella. Thank you, Nalika. It's good to be here. (laughs) Um, Before we start, because just to help us get warmed up, uh, give us one word to describe how you're feeling right now. Excited. Mm. Nervous. Excited. I'm going to stick with excited. Yeah, I'm excited. 
I'm going to say I am feeling elevated. Like it's really like that kind of we're about to like you can like you can feel the energy like something's about to happen um do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself yeah sure my name is bella i'm a mom of course and um i'm also a high school teacher i live in brooklyn and i'm raising my vibrant wonderful 11 year old who's so bold he's so brave and it's it's a pleasure you know sharing space with this kid it's just magical tell us about like what do you love most about parenting or being a parent? Wow, that's what are, is there so many things? Um, I think my 11 year old challenges me um, in a beautiful way. You know, Zan reminds me so much of um, living. Mm-hmm. You know, don't take things so serious. Relax. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Just everything, the amazement, the excitement, mm-hmm. um, that energy that's fed to me. Mm-hmm. I think that for me, it resurrects something. Today, we're going to be talking about gender and sexuality. And Bella and I are both raising daughters that do not conform to society's definition of what it means to be a girl. Bella's daughter is transgender Mm -hmm. and my daughter is a self-proclaimed lesbian. And it's really interesting (laughs) having these young people who are so clear about who they are, um, and how they want to be seen in the world. Yes. And so um, out of respect for our children and really for all children, right? Um, we're going to begin with a recollection. And a recollection, I will describe it as a memory that we're going to pull as close as possible to as young as we are and try to recall some memory um, to connect with our childhood self as a way of bringing our children into the room and really seeing things from their perspective, right? Like many times when we're parenting, we're parenting from like above, (laughs) you know, we're parenting from um, who we are now. And really, um, especially if we want to like change the dynamic and we want to rewrite the way that it's happened for us is we really got to think about who we were as children. And so the recollection that we want to think about today is a recollection around shame Mm -hmm. Um, because we know that for children who are gender nonconforming, who identify as being queer in any way, shame is really something that is so powerful and oppressive in their life. And so um, Bella, can you share your earliest memory of feeling shame? This memory that I'm going to share is um, it framed my life, you know, in so many ways, both positive and negative. So it stands out and I, I, it still goes through my head. This is something I'm still trying to sort through. I was nine years old. I was living with my mom. My parents, um, they had separated years before when I was very young. I was around two years old when they separated. And, um, you know, growing up in a very large family, um, there's also extensive units. And so there are many siblings and cousins and everything. And um, we were poor, you know. And um, there was one specific time, and I remember this as if it was yesterday, And um, my mom, she was just going through a phase and she needed a job and she got this job. And for her to keep this job, she had to be away for days at a time. And with that said, you know, I had to stay with my father 
who was so into himself and so busy, you know, doing what he thought he had to do to take care of his family, take care of us as children. And he was away a lot. And so I was left, you know, with my stepmom. And even at nine years old, I, and this is so hard, I could feel that resentment. I could feel, you know, um, the dislike, and I wasn't quite sure what I did. And I felt like it stunt my growth, you know? And there was this um, very specific year, um, I was going to school, and so I'm, I'm nine, I'm staying with her. My father, he wakes up very early, and so he leaves in the morning, and he comes back very late. And she had two sons, my younger brothers. And I had to get ready for school, and my mom wasn't there. My mom was normally the person she would take care of me, get my clothes together, uh, comb my hair, fix me my breakfast and everything. And at nine years old, I, I had to comb my hair. And that in itself was a struggle, getting my hair done getting my clothes together. Um, on the island, we had to wear uniforms and they had to be neatly pressed and they had to be clean and you had to be put together. And I remember going to school and um, I was late every morning. And I was late every morning because I had to wait for breakfast. And school started at 8.30 and my stepmom would just start making breakfast at maybe 8.15 and so if I wanted to eat breakfast, I would always be late for school. And being late, you know, I entered the classroom and I remember the teacher, she would look at me and she's like, well, your hair is not done. Your uniform is a mess in front of everyone. And I remember just having constantly these headaches, these intense headaches and just this anxiety, the sweating and just being nervous and just worrying, you know, and um, and I tried my best. If I got to school on time, you know, I had to be at school without breakfast. And I remember being at school without breakfast. I made it early, but I was at school without breakfast. And so I would be so intensely hungry. <laughs> I was always hungry. And then with that being said, I just could not focus. I remember, you know, she would say, um, you never pay attention. You know, um, you're not learning anything. And you will never accumulate anything because you're lazy. And so for me, that it just that was the worst year of my entire academic career. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense to me. It, and, it, and the things that you're talking about in regards to how you felt it mm -hmm. versus how it must like the intention or um, just the lack of care for children that I think is so prevalent in so many cultures and collectives mm -hmm. where the appearance trumps like how you feel, have yeah. you eaten, what is comfortable for you, what feels relaxed for you. Um, and that really resonates with me also. <laughs> um, I was thinking in giving you a recollection, I'll, I try to also think about it for myself. Right. And I had a really, at first had a hard time to think like, shame, shame, when do I feel shame? And like the difference between feeling shame um, versus mm -hmm. being embarrassed, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is like this idea of being embarrassed is something that is like not cool or um you know, some people might not like it. And I wish that that group of friends didn't get to see it. But, you know, it's 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 I'm going to get over it or I might move on where yeah. shame is like this deep rooted feeling that who you are and how you show up in the world 
is like disgusting. Yes. And what is that to feel disgusted about yourself as a child? Exactly. And when I think about our children, (laughs) our own children, um, and like getting in touch with that feeling for me, um, I was like, Oh, that really, that's like, that's, that's more than hard, right? Like that is deep. That is like, oh yeah, that sucks. And everything you spoke about around like not being able to focus, feeling hungry, um, trying to figure out which one of these adults should I please or which Mm -hmm. one of these adults are going to make me feel whole and not having any of it, no sanctuary, no safe space. Um, and that feeling of shame, right. And that feeling of shame that like, is just part of it. And I think in my childhood, I definitely had a lot of moments of feeling embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I thought about like deep rooted shame, it definitely was associated with my body. And okay. so when I was a, um, still true, <laughs> I always, my entire life had a very large butt. Um, you out there do not know this. You cannot see me, but <laughs> I tr- trust me. It's you know, it's 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 a good size, and so that has been true of me like my whole life. And Bella knows this because you've also dr- um, grown up in Caribbean households. Mm-hmm. People feel very comfortable commenting on your body, on your body, yes. regardless yes. of how old you are, mm-hmm. and it, their intentions. I don't really know what their intentions don't are. Don't shame you for but it. But it makes you feel shame. Yes. And yes. I think um, even looking back at it, there was some times when I was a child and someone would come, oh, your butt's so big. Look at the leak. Her butt is getting so big. And um, and I remember the sense of like, I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a bad thing. Right. But I for sure wish no one could see it. I for sure wish that... <laughs> How I showed up in the world or how I show up because I can't do anything about that. That's just part of who I am. I don't like how that is making me feel. And that is me. (laughs) You know what I mean? That is my identity. This is like all of um, who I am. And so um, I was really definitely thinking about the role I'm playing in my child's life Mm -hmm. around the feeling of shame. shame. And so... um, can you think of a time where I was like really trying to think for myself of a time of like that I caused shame for my child? Um, and what was that around? And the thing that kept coming up for me was clothing, which is really interesting that you mentioned clothing and how you were showing up at school and like how mm-hmm. that felt. And I remember like I've always been a parent like I've always thought like kids picking out their own clothes I Mm -hmm. must have read a book when I was really like a new parent like that's a place of freedom that's a place let them let them wear whatever they want we could do that I didn't even think about well I get to decide what's even available to them and for Moxie in particular and I think all my children really clothing has a lot of meaning it does. and when you are limited even in what is available to you and it doesn't make you feel it doesn't represent who you are in the world you're gonna feel shame yeah and there's been many mornings many many mornings where I'm like just get it let's come on we gotta go like like i cannot <laughs> sit here for the next like you know however long <laughs> it's gonna be where you change your outfits you gotta go and push them out into the world right <laughs> with this probably intense shame because the world's Mm. about to see them, (laughs) you know, but I, like at the time in those moments, I'm not thinking about that. I'm not thinking about myself as 
doing the thing that I'm working so hard not to do, <laughs> causing the oppression, causing the shame. Um, so my question for you is like, can you think of a time? I have um, had discussions with my life near about clothing and what's appropriate. And I try to give her that freedom to select what she wants. And often I find myself saying, well, I don't want you to wear that, you know, because I would have never worn that. Or I think it reveals too much. And then over the last year and a half or so, I've changed that tone to how about we wear something a little more, how about we wear something like this? How about we wear something that doesn't, you know, give you unwanted attention or, mm. and I'm trying to soften my tone mm -hmm. as, you know, so she can understand that I just want you to dress where you're comfortable, but then you don't have to experience anything, anything negative. I think it's bigger you know? than even softening your tone. You're being honest. You're giving them, you're giving her context. Like and, it's not and, about and I try her. to give rational, right. I, you know, I'd rather you not wear this because X, Y, and Z, and I'd rather you not wear that, you know? I think um, any way we can blame the rest of the world versus them <laughs> thinking it's them better. So like, People suck That's and true. you are amazing and we have to figure out how to be in community with people who are not as evolved mm -hmm. as you happen to be. Um, and there's a way like when I'm having that conversation with my <laughs> own kids, they're like, yeah, I can, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, there's some people I'm trying to, uh, yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. um, versus like feeling like it's you, you know, yeah. like feeling like what you desire, what you think makes you feel confident in the world is wrong. Um, mm -hmm. Because that is gonna evolve, right? Like what you feel like now versus next well, yeah. year will evolve. Definitely. Another thing I've been experiencing, you know, as a parent with my, um, with my daughter, my tone, just the way we talk about anything, any issue, any concerns and because I, I felt like I was so stunt, like I wasn't able to express myself. And if I wanted to say something, I remember just not making eye contact with the adults or because they would say it's rude to stare in their faces or whatever that meant, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, and with my 11 year old now, I, I, I've shifted the conversation from that stern talk, you know, and while talking, um, like talking down to her to speaking with her instead mm. you know speaking and, um, with wow it's, it's <laughs> hard it's definitely yes, tough and yes. our relationship is constantly evolving it's evolving to the point where it makes me so emotional sometimes I look at my kid I'm like you know you're you're just so awesome and mm. she'd be like why you say that I'm like because you are <laughs> no because I guess being a mom and reflecting my reflecting on my experiences as a child and then what we have now, and we've been through a lot, Nalika, mm -hmm. you know, you, I do. You, right? Mm -hmm. And um, where we are now, it's just, it took a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. And we have conversations, and uh, Zion would say, you know, you really hurt my feeling when you said X, Y, and <gasps> so Z. Yes, and I said, I you know why? Story. Yes. And I said, <laughs> I am really sorry that was, you know, I didn't mean to. I'm really, really trying. Can you be patient? And, you know, my 11 year old said, okay, so how about we just be patient with each other? I mean, where do you find an 11-year-old who says these things? I mean, well, your child is so much sweeter than mine because Moxie says, she'll say to me, you're making me feel bad about myself. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Zion says that. <laughs> like, Zion what, says do you, that? what do you mean? Like, that's that's even more like, I feel bad because he's like, no, no, you, <laughs> you woman are making me feel bad about myself. Check yourself. And I was like, yes. oh, yeah, right. Sorry. I, and But that's good. And I, I mm -hmm. want that. Mm -hmm. And mm hmm 
you know, I remember my mom came to visit and Zan and I were having a conversation and she was like, I don't like the way Zan is talking to you. And I said, we, I, I rather Zan and I just express ourselves mm -hmm. the way we're expressing ourselves because, and I, I don't think she quite got it, but I think Zan has been through so much. I think us as parents, both me and her dad, we have put her through so much mm -hmm. and, um, I'm not trying to spoil her. I'm just mm -hmm. trying to raise her to be vocal, to be strong, uh, you know, and to feel a sense of pride and to feel loved. Um, and you're that's saying important. all the things. You're saying all the, you're like, all all these words you're saying that are triggering my, like, <laughs> my, my Caribbean back. Spoil, don't spoil them. And how you talk to and all of that. And so this idea of this journey that you're on with your child. And so let's let's share our stories, right? Let's share, let's share our, like, our um, coming out stories as, as parents, right? Like, I always felt as though my moxie is defines definition like that's just who she came in the world um as and it was like this random time and we don't we're a, we're a big family a family of five big for us not big from jamaican island standards but big big, big for brook for brooklyn standards we're a big family yeah and it's very rare that you know, myself and one of my girls would be like by ourselves, like just no one's around and we're by ourselves. And I found myself at the kitchen table myself and Moxie. Mm -hmm. And she looks up at me. I don't even know what I'm doing. And she looks up at me and she says, mommy, I think I might be gay. And I said, that's great, Moxie. That's awesome. And she looks at me and she's like, I love you, mommy. I was like, I love you too, Moxie. And then I look over to her and she's like tearing up. And I like, well, I think I said the right thing, but wait, why are you crying? You know, like Moxie, what's going on? Why are you crying? And she's like, I'm worried about grandma. And it was really interesting because mm. this, in, when you mentioned the grandma, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, who, ad her grandma, who adores her um, and their relationship is in, like amazing and seeing my mother be grandmother to them right in contrast to how she was mother to me is a whole other thing that's it's a whole always could, different. that's a whole nother episode it's always that's different. a whole nother yeah. episode that's a whole nother episode but um after that we just kind of lived like that's just our new reality and mm -hmm. the language and the ability to to just own it and speak on it has been pretty incredible what's your story with zion i think we had gotten to a point um she wasn't sure um, and again, you know, we've been working our, mm -hmm, on our mm -hmm. relationship for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, this was 2016. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember. And it was a summer. And um, I have a really close family friend. And um, Zion always shares stuff with him. And um, he said to me one day, and I did suspect a few things, you know, that she was evolving. Mm -hmm. Right. But I kept thinking to myself, maybe I'm thinking in my head, maybe I should just not pay attention to that. Um, but then one day I approached her, I approached her, you know, I said to her, um, we were in Philadelphia at the time and I said, how are you feeling today? It was just a simple conversation of that. And, um, she was like, I'm good. I'm happy. And I, no, I asked her, I said, are you happy? She said, yeah, <laughs> kind of. I said, what bothers you? And she's like, I don't know how to explain it. I said, um, why do you like Lara Croft so much? Mm. Yes. Why mm -hmm. do you like Lara Croft so much? And, oh, you know, she does like Lara. She Croft. just started telling me about the Tomb Raider thing and um, 
her body and how amazing she is. And um, and I just asked her, I said, bluntly, do you feel like you're a boy or girl? And she's like, I think she was just done. And she was like, <sighs> I feel like a girl. Mm. And I feel like I'm just trapped in this body. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong. I don't know. It was such an emotional conversation. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, okay, so we're going to do this together. And we have to be patient with each other. And I don't even know how I was going to do this. I don't know You're where so I was going to go next. You're such a brave mom. You brought it. Like you brought it. You said the thing. You didn't wait. I went out yes. on that lamp because you... she was scared. <laughs> I'm right? so Proud of 2016, you. yeah, July 2016, and um, we're at a playground, and I remember us having this conversation. And on our way back, we had this talk. And so, uh, are you gonna tell Dad when am I gonna start dressing like a girl? When am I gonna start? Do you think people will accept me? Do you think people will still like me? Mm-hmm. Do you think I'll have friends? Do you think? And it was just so many questions. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. <laughs> What I was going to do, I had no idea how I was going to navigate the whole thing. I, I I just didn't know. All I know, I have this child. It's my only child. Mm-hmm. And I love her so much. And it was very important for me to support her no matter what. Mm-hmm. Even though I had no idea how I was going to do this. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's a new experience for me. Um, I'm from a culture that's very, very traditional. Mm-hmm. And um, there was no way I could have expressed something like this, even as an adult, to say, hey, you know, I want to be this way and I want to be that way. You're you're expected to live by customs and traditions. And so I found myself like, I'm going to ignore that and move into something and embrace something else. How am I going to do this? I'm not sure, but we're about to think about it and do this together. And it's been a journey since, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I've been learning. Mm -hmm. She's been learning. And I've said this to her so many times. And I've sat down, too, and I've thought about this. And this kid is so brave. Um, I wonder where she gets that from. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And there are moments, too. You know, there was a sleeper. I'm like, I don't know if I really want you to go. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, so let's do role play. Mm. Let's just say this is a situation. They're like, oh, you're transgender. What are you going to say? Mm-hmm. I find, we, you know, we find ourselves having these discussions. Um, we find ourselves where I'm just like, you know, Zion, um, I don't know if this is going to work. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. I mean, this world is so tough. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. think things would be so easier for you mm-hmm. if you would just go with Mm-hmm. expectation you know she would say like you know what no no people just have to accept me for who i am mm-hmm. you know um if they don't want to accept me that's fine they don't have to be my friend okay and you're gonna be fine we're going to be okay all right <laughs> whether they want to be your friends or not you're going to be okay i mean these two are are something else i mean moxie is the same way which she'll just say to me <laughs> if i have to cho-, she said the other thing like i have if i have to choose between being safe and being me, I'm gonna be me. That's and I brave. Was like, what? And then also, what? You know, like it's bravery. It's brave that we don't or we never no. had. Moxie, can you give me some feedback around how did I handle it when you told me that you were gay? You were like super calm and understanding. It was like 
impartial in like like a really serious way like 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 you were like an infinity person like an infinity person what does that mean a person would live forever like have seen thousands of things like this you're like okay you're super cool about it super cool super cool I think you're super cool. So anything you say, I felt like it was going to be super cool to me. Can I ask you, um, when did you know or when did you feel like you wanted to tell me? Well, I actually told my two friends first. Then I told my sister, Blue. Wait a minute. You told Blue before you told me? I think I did. When did you know? I knew a while before I told you, like a week. I kind of knew. Because I, like, fell in love with this person. I, like, knew. I just knew. Pretty much. I didn't know you fell in love. That's so sweet. I did. Are you still in love? Yes, very much so. Ooh. The thing that's, that's to me, it's, it's like even beyond bravery. It's like a complete fearlessness. Yes. That comes with a certain level of like safety and security that I think that love that you just talked about, that, that love that mm-hmm. allows <laughs> you to do things that you never knew you had the capacity to do. Because when Moxie looked at me and she's like, so she says, like, I'm scared about grandma. And I look mm-hmm. back at her and I said, okay i was like do you want me to tell her which is so funny like same thing um Mm -hmm. that your child said about (laughs) telling dad and i said she said yes i I want you to tell her and she just keeps looking at me and like do you want me to tell her now she's like yeah uh uh-huh go get the phone let's go and you did and i did and the reaction um so your grandma my mom lives with my aunt your grand aunt and you told me a story about um something that happened with her in a show do you remember yeah well i was watching spongebob and like she likes watching um um, like this pranking show with us and so i thought maybe she'd like spongebob and so i invited her to watch with us and she said i don't like spongebob and it's like and i said why and she said because someone in her church said come said spongebob was gay and then she left the room and it really hurt my feelings and i cried for a bit why did it hurt your feelings? Because I'm gay at that time, and it hurt my feelings because I thought maybe she wouldn't love me anymore. And you also said that you told me that you felt like it was, um, I don't know the word you used. What did you say? The idea that she would love you, but she can't watch the show is a little... Unsettling. Like, no matter who I became, she would just let me be. That's an unsettling thought. Mm-hmm. It is an unsettling thought. And I think you also said it was, like, hypocritical in some way. It is. Because if, like, if no matter what I became, she still loved me, then did she really love me? Did she love the idea of me? Did she love me because I'm related to her? It's, like, unsettling. Versus all of who you are. hmm Well, I love all of who you are. I know. <laughs> Thanks, Mats. It was really interesting because I don't know that I would bring that to my mother about me. 
any aspects of my right. identity, you know, any aspects of who I am. She'd have to like find out about it or mm-hmm. she'd have to like it had to come up even. Right. Um, and when but for Moxie, right. I picked up the phone, and I called her and I, I had all the butterflies like I had all of the like. I have no idea what's going to come on the end of the other end of this conversation. And I just, I called her. I said, I, Moxie just said that she thinks she may be gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's really concerned about whether or not you're still going to love her. And I told her very clearly that, of course, grandma loves you. Right. Um, but she is concerned. And my mother went into the questions around, like, but what did you say when she said it to you? And really kind of unpacking whether or not I affirmed her or if I kind of challenged her thinking. Right. And I kept saying, like, she's just like, well, she's young. Maybe she doesn't know. Are you like, like, just give her time. And it wasn't like a shut her down. It was more of like, just you don't let she doesn't have to know that yet. She doesn't have. And I and I said, I was like, Ma, I am going to affirm her. And she can change. Like she can, she can next week come back and say, "Actually, I I don't think so. Actually, I think I'm I'm yeah. straight." Or actually, think I'm I'm actually I don't even think I like Pete. Like I don't even think I like to, like He's whatever. Gender, right? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I she can come, but what she brings to me, I am going to affirm. That is my job as her mother, and my mother got that. You know, like she, because she's done it for me, for us at a different level, got and it. that's the thing I I think as you know, modern parents, we sometimes measure our own parents from our vantage point, from like where we are in, you know, 2019. Mm-hmm. But if we measured them from where they were when they had us and were making choices in comparison to their parents, right? we would probably be really surprised, right? Like my mother became a mother when she was like 21 years old. My mother... um talks about like she made sure we went to particular schools she made sure like we we had to and and now as an adult she'll communicate well my mom didn't really like when I let you guys go do this but I did it anyway or and I like grandma cared because grandma as far as I know grandma didn't care like we did um so those kinds of things are really interesting but the love that my mother has for my girls and the way they relate I wasn't shocked of like her ability to like grow and like let them be even though it challenges her own beliefs and like beautiful but going to Jamaica though going home um yeah that's another that's like a different kind of it thing. Is, it I is. mean, we hit the airport and you can feel the misogyny and it doesn't and make no mistakes, not that it doesn't exist in the world we live in right now. The way that it functions though is a way that which my girls I think are familiar with and kind of know how to mm-hmm. navigate and have voice of speaking. The way that it functions in Jamaica, um, and not just make in other places. It's insidious. I remember there was a while ago, we spent a whole summer there and um, my husband golfs. I golf a little bit and we wanted them to do like golf camp. And it was like, oh, they're going to be in Jamaica. They're going to get to be with other Jamaican kids and like having a real like we're really in an experience. Well, after like literally one they one day they went there and came back and they said, well, we have to wear shirts with collars. We ha- the girls go second. Um, we had like it was all of the conforming to yeah. really white so sad, col- standards, yeah. and not even just yeah. just the standards are based so much on like 
colonial of what it means to be acceptable and i don't have locks but my all my girls have locks you have locks mm-hmm. your daughter has locks when you get to jamaica and they see young black and not like the pretty locks you know like not like not like the neat tight wound it looks like it could be braids but it really isn't like they have talking free don't, yeah, yeah free mm-hmm. don't, don't touch my hair unless you have to lock right. and you get to the airport and they're like i don't understand like why do your children like look like this like obviously you have means you flew here mm-hmm. what is going on right now and that kind of thinking and how when it's reflected on them they internalize it or could internalize it makes it really hard. They and limit so- you, yeah, based on how you look, based on how you speak, uh, you dress, you know. And again, it goes back to colonial influences. Mm-hmm. But specifically my mom, I haven't really explained to her, yeah, this is how Zion feels and this is how, you know, um, this is a recurrent family unit and this is a structure. This is what it looks like, you know. And I haven't only because... She's such a traditional. She's this mm-hmm. elder in the church. She's a church lady. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. and she's already questioning my parenting style. And I'm I am also hesitant. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to my daughter about uh, when do we talk to her, and she's like, I don't know. Um, do you think we should? Mm-hmm. Because if she's really not going to understand, I really don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Know? I really don't want to be bothered. I really don't have to go back to Jamaica. In all honesty, mm-hmm. we could go somewhere else, mm-hmm. okay? And so I respect that. And I'm thinking about talking to my family about this and saying, this is where we are right at the moment. Um, I will say our people, and when I, when I mean our people, I mean like black folks, um, like people of color, like the larger, they are capable of such amazing growth. Yes, And I think there's a way in which we don't challenge each other mm-hmm. to evolve. Like exactly what you're saying, like I'm evolving, you know, like the, the, the ideas are like what we're still struggling with. You're still struggling with like how to maintain this relationship with your mother and the right, love that exists right. with like knowing whether when is the right time to like the fullness of it mm-hmm. and it, or if it will ever be the right time and 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 where are the trade-offs and is it okay or isn't it okay and for me i mean i i'm i struggle with so much of it of part of it is like how raw she is in the world and what comes at her through that and like i always th- thought that i was an ally to the lgbtq community you know i was like i'm i I'm down. Like I know mm-hmm. and I I will fight and I will speak and and then I had a an gay daughter that was an awakening. And it's so sad to say I'm ashamed of it that it that the, there's a higher level of awareness that comes with the connection with oh, yeah. your child. I mean, everything is heightened when it comes to your child. Um, but I can hear it. Any like I can hear the homophobia in ways that it was not that loud before. Um, Moxie mm-hmm. said, I am gay. You know, like, I feel like I am gay. And that, to me, is so many things. It <laughs> is. You know, the struggle You is know, real. it's funny you bring that up because um, 
just last week, you know, my daughter, she's um, she's a part of the Acrimen and mm-hmm. is, you know, they're so supportive. Oh, you have to tell us. You have to tell us. Everyone doesn't know what that is. What is the Acrimen? So the Acrimen Institute, you know, um, it's a gender family uh, organization, mm-hmm. you know, and they provide a variety of services for family and their children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but what I've come to realize, you know, now having a, 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 trans, a transgender child, um, we are privileged, mm-hmm. you know, because there are many things that I overlooked in the past. And now, you know, I have my 11-year-old. I'm like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. It never dawned on me that they have to go through this. Mm-hmm. And this is hard. And job security and, and social circles and, you know, counseling services and puberty mm-hmm. and high school friends and feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Feeling safe. Our human space, you know, it's just being compromised because of people's personal opinions and something about feeling safe that human right that human dignity that's been taken away I've never really thought about it for a moment do I know it exists yes but have I thought thoroughly like what is it like to be lesbian what is it like to be gay or or transgender or queer or having people stare I've never really thought about Mm -hmm. it and now I'm here and I have to accept it all and Mm -hmm. I'm going through it and so for many people who may say, oh, I don't care, you know, it, it's just, we are privileged in a way where we do not have to deal with, we don't have to deal with certain situations and we don't have to be uncomfortable about using the restroom and how we want to dress and how we see ourselves and how we act, right? I've overlooked all of that. And then now I'm being, you know, I'm in a situation where I have to accept all of that. And it's right there. It's laid out on the table. It's not as simple because we live in a society that dictates mm-hmm. everything from what you should eat and how you should look and what it means to be a woman or a girl, what it means to be a man and a boy. What about the in-between? Mm-hmm. And what about allowing spaces for people to just be? Mm-hmm. Whether they want to identify as he or she or they or them, it should not. Why are we so fearful? That's the bigger question. And why do we stun our kids? And why do we tell them you have to wear this and you have to look this way? You should speak this way. And it's no, it parallels racism and it parallels so many other social issues, feminist movement. You cannot support one without supporting the other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because all women are involved. But at the same time, we have to really accept other groups and accept the struggles, you know. And all this comes under the umbrella of capitalism, Mm -hmm. too, and the role it plays on how it dictates society. You're you're like, you're giving away, you're like telling all of our business. You're telling everybody where we're going all the way down the road. I am, oh my God. I want to just say... Okay, I'm going to pause and slow down. (laughs) I want to say thank you so much for being so generous with yourself and with your child and with your story i feel so um (laughs) blessed to have you as part of my village we really appreciate it and we like we take we will honor your story Um, thank you bella very very welcome of course thanks to bella and let's remember black folks folks of color, oppressed people, we can evolve. We can be bigger than what we've been given and what we've learned. There's so much more for us to do. There's so many ways we can grow and change the world. And it starts with like being open to changing ourselves. Thank you for listening. We wish you the best of luck along your parenting journey. And know that I have your back.
On the next episode of Raising Rebels, we'll discuss money and teaching Black children financial literacy while acknowledging America's widening racial wealth gap. This podcast was produced by Domino Sound. This week, we want to give a shout out to the Ackerman Institute for Gender and Family Project for all the support they give to children that are gender nonconforming and all over the LGBTQ spectrum. I also would like to give a special shout out to the Prospect Center that helped develop the practice of recollections that really helped us get into the mood and thinking about our children. See, rebel in the morning, rebel in the evening. 